latest podcast episode from Future Medicine AI Hub. I'm Emma Hall, the editor of Future Medicine AI Hub, and today I'm joined by Marta Matamala Gomez, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Barcelona. Marta's research interests include brain plasticity, virtual reality, body illusions, and studying the effects of visual feedback on the neurorehabilitation field. Thank you for joining us, Marta. It's great to have you with us. Okay, so thank you for inviting me, Emma, and well, and the team. Please, could you provide a brief overview of your career to date to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So I'm a physiotherapist, a, a physical therapist, and uh, I was working as a physical therapist with, uh, during seven years. And at some point... I had the curiosity to learn more about how to treat the patients with neurological disorders because I always working with patients with neurological disorders. So I started a master's degree in neuroscience and neurorehabilitation to better understand how the nervous system works and to treat better the patients. So during my master that lasted two years, my professors encouraged me to start a PhD because I had a lot of curiosity in how to develop new strategies. And also I had a lot of curiosity in knowing how to use technology to provide different sensory inputs to the patients and so on. So I had an idea to use virtual reality with patients that cannot move their their physical body because of neural injury. So I started my PhD in the University of Barcelona uh, under the supervision of Mel Slater and Maria Victoria Sanchez Vives. Uh, this was six and no, more, 10 years ago, I think. And I could develop my idea using a virtual reality system, an immersive virtual reality systems with patients with uh, presenting motor impairments of the upper limb. We designed a whole rehabilitation uh, program using virtual embodiment that is the feeling of, of being embodied into a virtual body in patients with traumatic injuries and also with uh, brain injuries such as a stroke that cannot move their upper limbs. And after my PhD, I moved to Italy for a postdoctoral period during four years. And there I could expand my knowledge about cognitive neuroscience because in Italy there are a high level in cognitive neuroscience. I was in Milan, based in Milan, in the University of Milano Bicocca, and also in the University of Pavia in collaboration. And there I could work with patients with also applying virtual reality techniques and virtual embodiment in patients presenting body representation distortions, such as patients with anorexia nervosa and also patients with chronic migraine, chronic pain. And then uh, since last year, I won, I got a, a project, a research project to start working here again in Barcelona. Uh, but now instead of using virtual reality, we are using another technology also to provide illusions of the body and illusions of movements through the sense of sound instead of the virtual reality. Thank you. That sounds fascinating. Could you tell us why you were inspired to research in the field of virtual reality and mental health? Yeah, so virtual reality is a powerful tool, as you know. 
So through virtual reality, we can provide a lot of sensory stimuli. And one of the most powerful sensory channels that we have is the vision, no? the, the visual channel. So virtual reality allows us to provide a lot of information through visual sensory inputs. And through this, the manipulation of these uh, sensory inputs, we can change the perception of our own body and also the perception of the environment surrounding the body and the perception of the world and the perception of the, of the whole body. We can trick the brain by manipulating sensory stimuli. So in this sense, virtual reality is a powerful tool to manipulate the sensory signals. And it's very realistic. You can be fully immersed into a virtual reality scenario and we can provide the illusion of owning another body, a fake body, a virtual body, and we can change the morphological characteristics of that body, right? So in mental health, this is very important because a lot of patients with mental health disorders have a distorted representation of the world and a distorted representation of the body because of the neurological injury. So this is a, a powerful tool to normalize this distortion in this kind of patients by the manipulation of the sensory inputs arriving to the body. Could you provide a brief summary of your recent paper, Virtual Body Ownership Illusions for Mental Health, a narrative review? Yeah, sure. So in this review, I, we conducted this review in Italy during my postdoctoral period in Italy. It was with the collaboration of Professor Giuseppe Riva in uh, Instituto Axiologico of Milan. And he's uh, also very recognized professor in the field of virtual reality. So in this paper, we, we aim to provide like a guide, an instrument, something that can collect all the different body ownership illusions that we can use, not only with virtual reality, but also with other types of tools like fake bodies, like a mannequin or like a rubber hand that was the first body ownership illusion used in research in cognitive neuroscience to manipulate the body perception. It was conducted in, uh, during the 19th by Bodbinik and Cohen. That was the rubber hand illusion study. And also to provide different tools to induce these body ownership illusions, like also mirrors, as with the mirror therapy that was used by Ramachandran also in the 90s, and of course, virtual reality. But yeah, we have a lot of information, but it's like there is not a common consensus, a common knowledge about how we can work with these body ownership illusions, why they are useful to work with patients, and in which way we can use that body ownership illusions to work with patients. And also this review provides like a structure dividing the use of body ownership illusions by pathologies. So probably we will use these fake bodies in a different way in patients with chronic pain, suffering from chronic pain, than in patients suffering from anorexia nervosa. So this paper, this review, allow us to have an overview about all the techniques that we can use how can we use it? So how can we trick the brain by manipulating the sensory stimuli, the sensory input, 
and how we can normalize the distorted representation of the body in different types of patients. Because in mental health, that is normally suffering from neurological disorders or psychiatric disorders, a lot of patients have a distorted representation of the body. So patients with chronic pain, patients with stroke, patients with anorexia nervosa and schizophrenia. So we can use all these disillusions with them, but in a different way for each type of patient. So this review can help us to use it with patients properly. How and why is using VR to treat body dysmorphia and eating disorders unique in mental health? Yeah, so as I said before, virtual reality, among all the techniques that we have, all the tools that we have to provide the body ownership illusions, virtual reality is one of the powerful. Is because we can be fully immersed in another reality and with the fully embodied in, into a fake body, into a virtual body. So... That is very important when working with patients with a distorted representation of the body, such as patients with dysmorphia or eating disorders, because we have to fully trick the brain to make believe them that they are owning another body with different morphological characteristics. And with virtual reality, this is very easy or is quite easy because we can manipulate the virtual avatars, the virtual bodies. We can adapt the virtual bodies to the desired characteristics that we want to show to the patients, right? If we want to show like a patient with eating disorders that a normal virtual body with a normal size instead of a big body or a very thin body, we can do it with virtual reality. And we can, with that repeated exposure to that virtual body ownership illusions, finally, we can change some sensory loops in the brain to modulate the internal model of the body representation that is distorted in this kind of patients. And that is because our body representation is not a fixed model in the brain. Our body representation is built up because of the integration of different sensory stimuli that are arriving to our body every day. So our brain integrates all that information and creates the coherent representation of the body and of the environment. So with virtual reality, we can manipulate one of these sensory inputs that is the visual input. And sometimes also we can integrate sound and tactile feedback in virtual reality systems. And we can trick the brain providing different sensory stimuli that will provide a different representation of the body with information that we are providing to the patients. So for that reason, virtual reality is one of the most powerful tools to work with body distortions in this type of patients. This question isn't on the list, but I just wanted to understand. So how exactly does using VR to treat body dysmorphia work? I know you say um, repeated exposure changes sensory loops in the brain. Yeah, well, you have to understand first which kind of distortion the patient have, so which distortion the patients are presenting. And then depending on that, you have to try to normalize that, not only with the visual exposure, but also with maybe 
tactile feedback correlated to the visual exposure that allows us to trick the brain to believe that that body is their own body. So it's all at a process of multi-sensory integration. So yeah, the real feedback, the real feedback that they are receiving in their real body. So there is a visual-tactile or visual-motor correlations. There are more specific concepts, but I can explain that now. So for example, visual-tactile correlations is when you are observing in the virtual world that a ball is touching the virtual body. And at the same time, you are feeling in their own body a tactile feedback, for example, with vibrators or someone that is synchronously touching the real body, the real part of the body where the virtual ball is touching um, the virtual body in the virtual environment. Mm -hmm. So it should be synchrony. This is a visual-tactile synchrony correlations that allow us to really trick the brain and make believe the patients that they are observing through the HMV, through the head-mounted display, is real. It's uh, belonging to their own body. So that they is their own body, that they are inside the virtual body. This is visual-tactile correlations. And you can induce also visual-motor correlations. That is, if you make the participants move, maybe um, moving the hand, and the virtual body is moving synchronously with tracking systems and so on. So this is also another way to trick the brain. All of this is related to multi-sensory integration processes. And it's like making a synchrony between the virtual world and the real world. And also through virtual reality, you can observe the body from a first-person perspective. So you wear the HMD, the head-mounted display, and you look down. And you will see the virtual body co-located with your real body at the same location. So this co-location effect is also another component that you need to provide full virtual embodiment illusions. So for that reason, even though a, pe a person in the mirror see the body and don't believe that this is not their own body and so on with dysmorphia patients, for example, they are observing the body in the mirror. And if you provide different sensory stimuli to them in the real world and they are observing that, you are not tricking the brain. They have another reality that they are observing in the virtual world. And you are providing a sensory synchronous stimuli in the real world that this is synchronous to the stimulus that they are receiving in the virtual world. So this allows us to trick the brain. It's quite complicated, but... It's all, uh, yeah, it's all related to um, play with sensory signals and with sensory inputs arriving to our body. Amazing, thank you. You're welcome. And finally, I know I originally had a question specifically about virtual reality, but you mentioned that you were also using sound. So <laughs> if you could pick one thing, what would you most like to accomplish in the field of virtual reality and or sound technology in medicine within the next five years? Yeah, well, I would like to see in five years how the clinicians are involved on, in this kind of intervention. So it's very complicated sometimes to involve them to use that technologies. And we need more research and more patients to test such technologies and such sensory stimuli manipulations with real patients, with a larger sample of patients. 
So um, yeah, in virtual reality, I think that we are in the in the way. So we are there, but we need more studies with a larger sample of patients to understand which is the real effectiveness of these techniques in in clinical populations. Because until now we have small studies in which we are testing maybe one experimental condition with patients and we say, ah, this is working. Okay, but now we need a clinical trial They're testing this condition during months, probably, right? So we need more studies and we need the involvement of the clinicians and the hospitals to do that. And in the field of sound, there is a lot to, to develop because it's a new intervention that is using the sensory channel of sound instead of the visual channel that we use in virtual reality. And it's more an interactive technology. It's uh, the movement sonification. Uh, this technique that is a new technique is called movement sonification. It's using interactive technologies that are attached to the body. And simply uh, they had like accelerators. There are accelerators in this technology that are capturing the movements of the persons and translating the movements into different sound qualities. And depending on the sound quality, we will have a perception of our body or another. For example, someone that is walking and is synchronously hearing the footstep sounds with high frequencies or low frequencies, they will have different body perceptions. For example, people receiving the feedback with high frequencies, footsteps with high frequencies, will have the perception that they have a thinner body, a lighter body, because these high frequencies. Or another person receiving lower frequencies of their own footsteps, they will have the perception of owning like a heavy body, you know, a bigger body. So we can play also with the sensory signal of sound. So this is we very novel. So we are starting on, at that point and also playing with other sound qualities like wind, water, and so on. But again, here we are starting and doing pilot studies with healthy subjects, and then we will start with patients. But yeah, in five years, I, I hope to see all this technology made it simple in a way that clinicians can use it in a friendly way and also I'm more involved in the clinical structures so to use it as a real treatment that cannot supply the face-to-face -face intervention with the therapist of course but it's a good tool as a complement of the therapy so of the traditional therapy so yeah I hope to see that um, step by step Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Marta. It's been really insightful to hear more about virtual reality and virtual body ownership illusions for mental health. Thank you also to our listeners. And if you'd like to hear any more podcasts like this, please head to www.fmaohealth.com.